Welcome to the Springs in the Desert podcast. We're so happy that you're here with us. We're those friends that you can take with you wherever you are on the path of infertility. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Springs in the Desert podcast. I'm Anne, and I'm so glad to be joined by my friend and Springs in the Desert teammate, Jillian. Hey, Jillian. Hi. Good to, good to be here with you, Anne. Oh, it's great to be with you too. And it's so great to be with our special guest for today. We are so excited to be joined by a woman who has really become a great friend of ours personally and of Springs in the Desert. Um, Kelly Bro is the president and founder of Redbird Ministries, an organization that systematically guides individuals and couples through the complexity and trauma that happens with the loss of a child from pregnancy through adulthood. And we were privileged to be part of the 2021 OSV Challenge, um, along with Kelly and Redbird Ministries. And Redbird went on to be one of three organizations that won the grand prize. And it was very, very well-deserved. And Kelly will tell us more about the ministry and uh, where you all can find more information about it. But we just want to welcome you, Kelly. Thank you for having me. I'm blessed to be here. Well, we're blessed to have you. And, you know, we've wanted to have you on this podcast for quite a while, but I think, you know, God's timing is always so perfect. So October is the month of the rosary. It's Respect Life Month, and it is also Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. So we are just so blessed to have you here sharing your story and um, and sharing your ministry with us. So let's just start, Kelly, if you would tell us um, a bit of your story and how that experience led you to starting Redbird. Yeah, so um, a large part of my story does surround infertility. We had primary infertility for four years uh, before conceiving with the help of uh, a fertility specialist. So four rounds of IUI, uh, and shots. Of course, um, this was before our conversion. So I always have to tell people that, um, just ahead of time uh, before I get to the rest of the story. But, um, it was the beginning of my journey through grief. Um, it was a loss. I, my body wasn't working. Um, I didn't understand why I couldn't get pregnant on demand, like all my friends, Um, I felt very isolated because I was the only one that this was happening to as a young woman. Um, And on October 16th of 2005, after finding out we were pregnant for twins, uh, I delivered at 28 weeks, my placenta abrupted. Um, So it was very um, emergently, there was a lot of chaos going on. I remember my doctor telling me that she didn't know if, you know, just trying to prepare me if the babies would be born alive just because of what my body was experiencing. Um, but at 128 and 129, our son and our daughter was born. They were born alive. So I did get to uh, experience that. Um, they were rushed off to the emergence, um, the emergently to the NICU. And um, the next morning we um, awoke to a team full of doctors in our room. It was probably about five because it's, it was a teaching hospital. And, um, the doctor told me that our son had down syndrome 
And it was a shock to us because, you know, we did all the scans, all the anatomy workups. Um, They had offered us to do an amnio just to be sure. But, you know, after four years of infertility, we didn't want to risk anything. Um, And so we chose not to. Um, And I just, you know, I trusted God in a, a very naive way, you know, because my, I, I felt so innocent to that. Um, but when we were given the diagnosis, um, that was when I first started to like understand, you know, that, um, the gift of life is very fragile. He was three pounds, one ounce. He had complications. He had two holes in his heart. Um, but he didn't pass away from that at 15 days old. He actually contracted an infection in the NICU and passed away. And that's when I, I think my innocence was really lost because I no longer view the world as a safe place or a a place that was good. Um, I definitely did not really see my faith as being something that I could lean into because um, my child died. And so um, it's easy to pray when everything's going good. It's hard to pray in those moments of darkness. Um, and of course, like 10 minutes later, when the doctor came in to talk to us after we uh, had our time, um, I yelled at him, don't let her die too, because my greatest fear after Talena passed away, that would, that Emma would pass away. And so I started making, I think every decision and living through this space of just plain fear, like everything, um, the, when the phone would ring, I was afraid it was the hospital. So it was like, it was a life of just fear. And it was a very scary place to be. Um, we started experiencing anxiety. I'd never had that before. Um, and depression. Um, and anyone who has a baby that's in the NICU will tell you this, like every day you walk in, there's a different story of the day. You don't know what you're walking into. It's uh, it's very traumatic. Many families who experience the NICU Although some, you know, most times they are allowed to bring their baby home. There's just a large amount of fear that's attached to that. Because after you leave the NICU with your child, you suddenly are responsible to keep your child alive. So I had one child that died and then I was bringing home another child. And that was my responsibility was to keep her alive. So anxiety, the fear, the depression, it continued forward. Um, I was put on uh, an antidepressant depressant about two weeks after Emma came home for the ho- from the hospital because that responsibility just weighed very heavy on me. I was 25 years old at the time and um, it was just a lot. First time mom, grieving mom, um, and this responsibility. Um, Emma, she was on 10 different medicines. She was on oxygen 24 hours a day for the first 10 months of her life. But then after that, she started to grow and um, we were able to baptize her and celebrate her first birthday. She began to walk. So we were enjoying her and the the goodness that um, that the gift that she was to us. Um, But on in 2009, she was almost four years old. She contracted a 21 and she passed away. And that's when I tell everybody my world went completely dark. There was um, frustration, anger. Um, I was so mad at God. I remember when I left her bedroom at 
in the PICU and I walked into the elevator, I remember screaming at the top of my lungs, I hate you, God. Um, Because the God that I knew, the God that I loved, the God that I believed, uh, he was good. But this did not feel like good. It was agony. I felt like I was in the garden and asked asked for him to take this cup away. And and he refused. And um, I went from being this very joy-filled person who saw like the world in color um, to very angry, depressed, just very mean woman. And it was nothing that I did to cause this into my own. It wasn't a choice that I made. It was what grief did to me. And I lived that way for probably about seven years. Uh, I didn't go to church at all. I couldn't pray. I couldn't be in the church hearing the babies cry. I couldn't, um, I just couldn't, I couldn't be inside my church parish having visions of the caskets. This place that was supposed to be a safe place for me was no longer safe anymore. Kelly, I I just, that's so powerful. I want you to continue the story, but it just occurs to me, um, you know, first of all, I mean, and we're, we're friends. I've heard your story before, you know, I still just express that sorrow for, Mm -hmm. for that grief that you experienced and I'm sure, which still pops up at different times. Um, but I think it's so powerful what you just shared about those emotions and the way that you express them toward God. Um, and I think that's really important for everyone to hear whether you're dealing with a loss or you're going through infertility and, you know, maybe it's going on for a long time and you're just wondering, God, what are you up to? I think it's important for us to, um, to hear that it's okay for us to express that anger and all of those emotions, um, because God, God can take that and God, uh, wants to receive that from us. And so, I want to thank you for sharing that because sometimes I think we feel very scared or we get guilty and we say, oh, you know, I shouldn't think this way. Um, but, but God knows, God mm-hmm. knows that, that we're in this kind of agony and, and he wants us to express that. So please yeah. continue. Yeah. I had a priest that once told me, he said, people who say don't question God have never been given a reason to. And I had a lot of questions. It was yes. like the why question um, all the time. Um, you know, our, our, our losses didn't stop there. So I do have one living child. She was eight months old when Emma Grace died. Um, she's in eighth grade now. She's, she's the joy of our life. Um, but I did get pregnant when she was three years old. So we, of course we've, we had times, uh, I got pregnant for Estelle on my own. We got pregnant for Christian Ryan on our own. Um, that was in 2012. So when Estelle was three years old and, um, at 11 and a half weeks when I went to the doctor, uh, for a routine ultrasound, we were told that the baby did not have heartbeat. Um, so I had to schedule for a DNC because my body would not pass, uh, the baby. Um, that was, that was the first time that Ryan was really mad. Um, for Talon and Emma Grace, he kind of just like leaned into his faith more than anything. But when we lost our baby, to miscarriage, he, uh, we were, when we were driving home, I remember him telling me I'm, I'm getting a vasectomy. 
And I was like, you can't do that. That's permanent. And I was like, what if one day we decide to get pregnant again? And he expressed that because he, the look on my face each and every time he, of course he was sad because his child died too, but watching me go through that excruciating pain, um, women traditionally emote their grief more than men. That's just, that's what we do. Um, and he just, he couldn't bear that he couldn't fix it. And that was really hard for us because he, like St. Joseph, wants to go into the workshop, make, fix it, make it better. Um, right. And I just, I couldn't get past those initial raw emotions for a very long time. Um, it was so hard to talk about um, with people who hadn't experienced what I experienced because I felt like if they really knew what I was thinking, they would not be my friend because it was very irrational for, for, for me. Like I was shocked by what I was feeling. Like when I'd say stuff and think it, it was almost like I would shake because it was like, I couldn't believe that was coming from me. And it came from a depth of darkness. I never knew existed. I never, ever thought that these emotions and these reactions and this pain that I could ever experience experience, you hear stories, you hear people share things and you're like, oh, that'll never be me. And I I found myself in that place where it was me. It was like, almost like, like you, the sounds would come out, the wails would come out from a a depth, um, almost like a shock that you would recognize your own voice. It was just, it it was hard. It's hard to describe, but I really struggled with telling people how I really felt because of fear of being judged. There was so much shame behind um, the dark emotions that I was going through. And then we, um, for 10 years, we struggled with secondary infertility. So from the time that we got pregnant with Christian Ryan and lost him until this past May, um, when we got pregnant for Eva Catherine and we lost her at six weeks, there was 10 years, a whole decade, um, and no doctor can help me you know we tried to go just see like is it endometriosis again um is my thyroid playing a part in it um about what about my hormones so we kind of checked all those things but in the meantime in those in that 10 years um so that started let's see talent passed away 2005 emma passed away 2009 christian ryan passed away in 2012 And I lost my mom in 2016. And that was when I think I hit the biggest brick wall because suddenly the only person who would check on me every day and actually cared if I was having a good day other than Ryan, (laughs) my, my mother passed. And so I, everyone else had gone on with their life, you know, in their journey of their own life. And, um, I no longer felt like I had any support. No one mentioned Emma's name hardly anymore and Talon's name. And um, I went on a search to find just how could I make sense out of all of this suffering? Um, And a friend of mine experienced the loss of her daughter. She was 10 years old. They got in a, um, she got in a 
an accident, a drunk driver hit her. And she invited me to make my Crisio. And so if those of you who are listening, um, Crisio is a, I call it a four-day walk with the Holy Spirit. It's an encounter with Christ. And that Saturday night, I had a profound conversion. I met him in adoration, really, truly, um, for the first time. I realized all along I knew who Jesus was, but I didn't know who he was. Um, I knew his name, but I didn't know his heart. I knew his justice. I did not know his mercy. And all the fear and anxiety, running away from the cross, leaving the church, not going to mass, leaving my faith, um, all of that shame that went into the way that I looked at my journey. I didn't stand like the Blessed Mother and receive my suffering. I ran. I didn't want nothing to do with it. I, I would tell everybody, I was like, pick up the cross and carry it. I hated my crosses. Yep. I hated them so much. And I was so vocal about it. I didn't ponder the things in my heart. I really yelled it. Um, there was no gentle, blessed mother acceptance to it. And so with that, of course, it comes shame. Because, you know, now I know, like, I want to be like the blessed mother but there's a whole lot of space to me and just, I'm just not, I'm very outspoken when it came to how I was feeling, even though I necessarily didn't have all the good words to share. um, I lamented, I lamented deeply, mourned deeply for my losses. Um, And, you know, Jesus forgave everything. And I look now at the cross and, you know, of course things make sense backwards. Um, at the time, I thought that Jesus, I thought that God willed my ch- my children to die. I thought that that was a part of his, you know, his actual will, like he actually wanted them to die. Um, and I realized that now that that's not God's will. He didn't will my children to die, although he allowed it. Um, but what he has allowed is me to be sanctified through it. And so what I thought was for evil God has turned into good because I'm able now to, to share my experience and open my heart with other women and men, especially, you know, how it, it has affected our marriage, us not communicating, um, and the differences in the way that women and men grieve because they're totally different. We can't expect men and women to do anything the same. That's not how God created us. So I say we experience the same crisis. We lived through the same crisis, but we never talked about it. And so that communication breakdown caused a tremendous amount of resentment and emotional abandonment in our marriage. And I thought Ryan did not love me. And then when I finally said something about that, he looked at me and he was like, I loved you so much. And then he shared to me what he, you know, what he saw and he cried all the way to work, all the way home. He'd get home. He would try to pretend that he wasn't crying so that he wouldn't make me have a bad day. And when we finally communicated about this, the empathy that we had towards one another before, when we weren't communicating, there was resentment. And it was so hard to live through that, that time where sometimes I thought he was my enemy. Wow. That's powerful. Kelly. Oh, 
There's so much there. First of all, I want to say how great it was that you said you met Jesus in adoration. Mm -hmm. And even after all that yelling and screaming, like he was like, okay, Kelly, come on. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. so I mean, just, you know, for... For those of us who have those days, you know, we, we might yell and scream, but he's always ready and waiting to, to welcome us back in. Um, and the other things that you were saying just about your relationship with your husband, Ryan, and the communication and the different ways that men and women grieve, that really resonates with me. I have never been pregnant, so I have not experienced a loss in that way, but of course, the loss of never having been pregnant. And um, even so, everything that that you're saying, I can really relate to in terms of that breakdown of communication or thinking, well, my husband really must not care as much because he's not breaking down. But, you know, for you to share that, that they, our husbands will experience the grief differently. And sometimes, they will get emotional about it, but they want to be that strong, steady uh, kind of anchor for us so that, so that we, we don't break down. They, they want to be strong for us. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, being stoic can become the problem. Like when people say stay strong, it's like, no, like, yeah, you want to be strong with you within Christ. You want to be strong. But first, you have to be vulnerable to your spouse. You have to yoke yourself together and walk together through this. Because when one tries to be strong and doesn't open themselves and open their heart to their spouse, um, the spiritual and the emotional intimacy that you are closing yourself off to is... I don't even know how to, to explain how how much when we finally opened our hearts to one another, the joy that it brought to our life. I always tell everyone, you know, through everything we've been through, if I had to if I had to choose, when when would have been the time that I was most happy in my life? Was it on my wedding day or was it today? I'd always choose today because that relationship that my husband and I had the day of our wedding, it was all of the flesh. It was all the the beautiful church. The I said we said our vows you know very immaturely. Um and there was physical intimacy um just because you know we were so naive. But today like my husband and I we have this beautiful marriage. Um we've both gone through this intense conversion and have reordered and prioritized our life and have found because we are so open to one another that there's this whole world that we um, really did not avail ourselves to and that is so our life is so much beautiful now I think you know Kelly I have a sorry Anne um you know, I, I have a question about what you were just saying about sort of unveiling your heart to mm-hmm. your spouse. And I'm curious if you have any more to say about um, unveiling your heart to God. You know, I'm, I'm particularly the moment in adoration that you mm-hmm. were 
um, at Crucio, mm-hmm. you know, what, what was that kind of, um, yeah, like to unveil your heart to God amidst so much suffering mm-hmm. and this cross, you know, do you, yeah, any, any sort of practical wisdom or just w- what that might look like for someone who's right in that, in that yeah. cross right now? There is a moment in scripture, I think it's, I think it's, I can't remember if it's um, when the lady is caught in the adultery or the woman at the well, when he says, tell me the whole story. Um, Mm -hmm. I'll have to look it up. But Jesus tells her, like, tell me the whole story. And that Saturday night in adoration, I lamented and I told him everything. I told him every piece of my heart, my disappointments, my sadness, my longings, the things that I, I, I still want another baby. I still long for my children that we've lost. My circumstances are still the same. Four children in heaven. And I still struggle with secondary infertility. Um, the unveiling my heart to God was being honest and open to him. In all the aspects, not sugarcoating things, because I, I I thought somebody would be listening and you know judge me for that. It's actually being honest. He already knows it all. The freedom comes when we are honest with ourselves, and we're honest with Him, and allowing Him to take that away from us. Because what I've found is that by opening my heart to Him and and freeing myself of the shame of those thoughts and those emotions. God was able to transform those, those fears and those anxieties and, um, and provided me healing through those, those memories and those moments when I thought I was the most shameful to God. Like I didn't want to come close because I felt so much shame, like he would not receive me. And when I was finally able to let that go, let that go freely in adoration and like literally lament, like cry on the floor in front of the blessed sacrament. Um, I left there. I I felt totally free. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that Kelly. I think that that, I know for me, sometimes it's hard to do that, but to know that there's so much, you know, freedom, so much intimacy, just, waiting for us there in those moments um, yeah, is really encouraging. And, you know, I have another question that's sort of perhaps the opposite of that when, um, you know, uh, yeah, to share a little bit about me, um, I've been married for four years and uh, my husband and I have lost two children to miscarriage and I now have not been able to conceive again for several years. And, you know, there's, um, there's normal and normal questions that are asked that, uh, you know, oh, do you have children? How many kids do you have? Where are your kids at tonight? Um, and yeah, I'm wondering, you know, what, if you have any suggestions when you don't quite want to re- unveil all of your heart <laughs> to someone, you know, God can take it all and he knows and we can, of course, but you know, when, um, you know, we have a couple phrases that we like to use uh, that try to 
always uphold the lives of our children without mm-hmm. having to say mm-hmm. uh, to every single person that we've lost children. Um, but yeah, I'm just wondering if you have some some wisdom there about uh, yeah how how do we discuss that those losses um, and, and set those those boundaries. Yeah, so every situation or every time I've been asked, it I responded differently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes it was basically, I don't have time to tell you about everything I've been through. <laughs> um, and sometimes I just, I haven't felt um, safe sharing that. And so I think, you know, you know the people that you are around Um you don't have to tell people the whole story. Sometimes I just tell people uh, one on earth and four in heaven, and that usually shuts them up pretty quick. Uh, <laughs> they stop asking because they really don't. Some people really don't want to hear the rest of the story. They really don't. Um, and it's okay because there's so many people that will love you in this space that that honestly care. And, you know, I've like Jesus, when he when he told the disciples when they go two by two, you if if they don't welcome you, you dust off your shoes and you you go where you are, go where you welcome. There's so much support out there that go to those places that you know your heart's going to be protected, and that's where you share. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I love this idea, Kelly, that you've you've brought up um, about safety, you know, Jesus is our safe Harbor, (laughs) you know, this, um, and that it's okay to not uh, yet to discern, you know, Mm -hmm. where that safe Harbor is. Uh, And then, yeah, I, something that Jesse and I, uh, my husband have, have tried to come up with uh, for, for those who have asked us, but as you said, sometimes people, don't want to know or they don't know how to follow up mm-hmm. you know I- I'm wondering if you have any good responses suggestions for responses for the listener you know if, mm-hmm. if I if I share or you know like as you said one on earth and four in heaven you know for us um, typically one of our responses is you know we don't have any littles running around you know here on earth and if we feel that we would like to share that we have two in heaven. Uh, we do. Um, but yeah, I think sometimes people don't know how to respond to that. Sometimes they don't want to, but sometimes they do and they just don't, they don't want to yeah. hurt. They don't want to add to the suffering. Mm-hmm. So do you have any suggestions about what someone might be able to say in response yeah. um, that yeah. would be comforting? Saying nothing is worse than saying something wrong. The silence is more hurtful um, than you messing things up. I think the most appropriate thing is just to tell someone, I am so sorry that your, your baby died. Um, I, lo- I love when people s- tell me I'm praying for you. Um, I'll keep you in my prayer. I'll offer mass for you. Um, those simple things, or if you are really close to them, I'm so sorry. I love you. Um, just words of comfort. And then to those friends and family, if you're really close with someone who's experienced a loss, I always give them the, um, just a simple reminder, put that, that family's due date 
in your calendar and call them and tell them, I'm praying for you today. I offered up a mass for you, a prayer to rosary, mm-hmm. um, and also two for their first birthday, because those are two very hard days, especially, you know, as we're, we're, our families are growing. And so most often all of us will have a friend that's pregnant and do around the same time that we were. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, that's what's happened to me is I've always had a timeline of a friend. And so it's extra painful having to watch um, that timeline go in front, you know, in front of our lives and be reminded of what we lost. Um, yeah, say that child's name. Like it's important that you say the child's name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love all those examples um, because yeah, I, it, it's always really comforting to me when someone upholds the dignity of our children, mm-hmm. you know, in whatever way they can. You know, um, some people have simply just said, thank you so much for sharing that with me, you know, for, you know, trusting me with that, even if they don't know what to say. But um, yeah, there, there are people who, when they, when they say our children's names or, you know, think of us around that date, I, I, those are really great, like really great examples. Yeah, I think um, just to pick up on that, that um, so often we, just like you were saying, Kelly, that um, the men in our lives, our husbands, they want to fix, you know, they want to fix the infertility or fix the grief. Um, People want to fix our suffering because it's hard to see people suffer. And that's that's really beautiful that that they want to do that. But um, sometimes that can lead them to, as you said, not say anything, which hurts, or to say too much, <laughs> which which can also be hurtful. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I love that. Just so often the simplest, I'm so sorry. Can I do anything for you? I'm praying for you. And, and you're right. I love you. I'm here for you. It's so simple that we think that absolutely cannot be the right answer, right? But but usually the you know the simple and the just being with is is all we need. Mm-hmm. And lots of prayer. That's right. Lots of prayer. This time has flown by. We would love to have you back sometime, mm-hmm. Kelly, because there's so much more that we can get into, but before we go, just please tell everybody where they can find um, Redbird and your information. And I think you you had an unveiling of an app recently. So mm-hmm. please tell everybody how they can get in touch with you and find support from, from Redbird. Yeah, the easiest way is to download, download our app on the App Store or the Google Play Store. Um, and our website is www.redbird.love, and we offer a lot of resources, support opportunities, in-person virtual events for those who've experienced loss. Uh, and we do have an event coming up on Pregnancy and Infant Loss Day, um, a two-hour virtual retreat. So all is invited. It's a free event for everyone. Oh, thank you so much, Kelly. It has been so great spending time with you. Um, and thanks, Jillian, also for being here with me. Thank you, everyone, for listening today. And please know that wherever you are on the path of infertility, it is our absolute honor to walk with you. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us for this Springs in the Desert podcast episode. If you have a minute, please rate and review us so that we can reach more listeners. 
Check out our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram. And go to our website, springsinthedesert.org, where you can sign up for our newsletter and hear about more things that we have going on. Most importantly, remember that God loves you so much, and so do we. 